Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As Christians, it is essential that we act in a Christ-like and Christ-centered way toward people that are living in an unbiblical, gay, or even transgender lifestyle. Regrettably, Christians often act more like the Pharisees in their attitude of superiority and conceit than they do like Jesus. Let's open our Bible now that we might truly understand why Alistair Begg was correct. Well, good afternoon and uh, welcome to another teaching. It's a, uh, it is a, a late Wednesday afternoon, early evening here in Texas. And uh, hopefully all are, are loving on Jesus, are spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to obey him, um, and, and growing to be like him more and more and more in every aspect of your life. That's the meaning of life is growing to know Jesus, growing to obey him and love him, and growing to be like him. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so um, the last time we had done uh, the first teaching that we have ever done of that kind, when we did a teaching in defense of, of Alistair Begg, and, and we laid out our premise as to why we, we firmly believe that Alistair Begg was right in his, in his, in his advice and it is counsel to that grandmother who was, uh, you know, who was struggling with whether or not she could go to her grandson's trans uh, transgender wedding. And, you know, since that time, it's been been a week now. And, uh, you know, I've been I have been I'm, I'm saddened that 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 prominent Christian leaders haven't haven't come out publicly and firmly defended Alistair Begg just based on the, the simple wisdom and reasoning that, that we put forth or I put forth uh, in the, you know, in the last video. Um, it seems very, it doesn't seem hard to understand to me. Now, that being said, many more videos have come out uh, criticizing uh, Alistair Begg in, in, in very uh, severe and even ungodly ways um, in foolish ways, frankly. So, um, just talking to to some of the guys and, uh, you know, you know, it seemed wise to just to, to, to continue the discussion on on how as Christians and I mean disciples of Jesus, devoted, serious, Christ centered disciples who really want to live their lives in service to Christ, bearing fruit for his kingdom, living for him more and more actively every day. You know, how are we to, to manage ourselves in a society of, of serving all people in Christ, of lovingly presenting the gospel? And, and you know, where and when are we supposed to, to be around them in their gatherings or even in their, quote, weddings? And so... I'm going to continue the discussion on this and, and hopefully shed some light. I have, I have, I believe, far more material than I can get to. Um, and I stopped the last one right at 45 minutes because I didn't want it to go too long. So, Father, we do thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness and grace on our lives. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you 
for our Bible. We thank you that we have the word of God. Father, I thank you that we have this standard, that we have this book that we can go to, the eternal word of God. Even as you said, Jesus, heaven and earth will pass away, but but my word will never pass away. And we thank you, Father, that we can study your word and dig into your word and receive life in your word and instruction. Father, above all, I ask you to help us to not only know your word, but to obey your word. And Father, we know that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is indeed the living word of God. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. We honor you. We praise you. We love you. Our only master, our only king, our only Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen and we we worship you today. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we do ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that can see, ears to hear. Holy Spirit, please give us hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, okay, so, um, you know, again, what we're going to be, what we're going to be dealing with here is, is how as devout Christ-centered Christians that want to please Jesus, are we to serve the people of the world? And is it okay for us to do it at, you know, at gay or transgender weddings or whatever alternative weddings or gatherings, um, you know, there are? And, And I believe scripturally, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, I've been very saddened. It's, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been a grief. The things I've heard said, the correlations made, they're not, I can't even repeat it. The vile and foolish things that have been said regarding making comparisons to, to what Alistair Begg counseled that grandmother to do. I don't know that I've heard foolishness like this. And I've heard my share before. Um, I mean, it's it's unfitting, it's childish, it's immature, and and, and it's embarrassing. And so, if it, it would seem to me, again, just based on the response to the last teaching, which was which was tremendous, I was we were very blessed that that so many people were willing to, you know, to to tune in and see the teaching. Um, it's not it's not something we desire to do or I do. But yet there's a clear need. There is a, there's such a massive need in our society because there seems to be almost no teaching that I can find on this. And so we're going to we're going to go ahead and continue in that today. So here, here's what I'll begin with. We're going to talk about this this devotion to the sacrament of marriage. Okay, in the response to to Alistair Begg and what he said, there's been this massive outcry because it would appear that the majority of Christians or the body of Christ is far more devoted to the sacrament of marriage, the temporary earthly institution created by God 
for the advancement of his kingdom. Why did I say temporary? Human marriage, human biblical marriage, obviously non-biblical marriage is not marriage, right? This is something we, we don't seem to really understand. But human biblical marriage will not transcend this life. You will not be married to your Christian husband or your Christian wife in eternity. When you leave this life, that marriage ends. And when, when, when the time comes for Jesus to return, no more will there be the sacrament of marriage. That will have ended. However, souls, souls are eternal. So it begs the question, no pun intended, Mr. Beg, but it begs the question, what, you know, what's more important? What's more important, the, the sacrament of marriage or the sacrament of baptism or eternal souls who will indeed be in hell if they don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that their God, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, became a human man even for them, even for the gays, the transgenders, and yes, what in your mind is the most despicable people in the world. Yes, because what we forget is that without Christ, we too are an abomination. I've been hearing that word a lot. Without Christ, every one of us is a, is a vile abomination before God. And that's something that's seemingly been lost in this whole discussion. We do not really seem to understand how vile, disgusting, and dead in creatures fit for hell we really were before our king and our master and our God, Jesus, became a human man for us. And he went on and lived a perfect righteous life for us and for all those who are still in their sin, all those who are transgenders and getting married, or gay and getting married. He lived a perfect, righteous, sinless life for us and for them. He then went on and died a horrific, torturous, excruciating death on the cross, on their behalf and our, on our behalf. A death we deserve to die. And then he was indeed raised from the dead. And every single human being, all 8.3 billion people in the world need Christ. Need to be actively, currently trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin, the salvation of their soul, deliverance from eternal hell, and to go to heaven when they die. If, they're, if they are to avoid, if they are to avoid hell, okay? And so what, what should be our focus, okay? Should our focus be of turning our nose up 
at what we to be, what we believe to be non-biblical gatherings? Or should we be, we, we be able to go, even in grief, as Jesus attended these kind of things? Jesus ate with sinners, right? And the Pharisees, they just, they, they didn't understand why he would do such things. And I'll say, never have I heard so much pharisaical, self-righteous responses as I have heard in this debate. Never have I heard as many. So I explained that that marriage is a temporary earthly institution, right? So if you look at Matthew 22, 29, and 30, the Sadducees come to Jesus and they're, they're obsessed with marriage as if the kingdom of God was about marriage. I'm a married man. I have the finest wife in the world. I'm a blessed man. Been married for, I don't know, I think coming up on 23 years now to, to, to a to a woman that I don't deserve, okay? But at the end of our lives, one of us or both of us, that marriage will cease. The Sadducees come to Jesus and, you know, they, you know, they, 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 they give this, they make up this example about this woman that, that had seven husbands because the other six husbands died and they say to Jesus, now whose husband will she be in heaven since she was married to all seven? Because in their mind too, marriage is really what's important, right? Matthew 22, 29 and 30, Jesus replied, you are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That's every error we have in our lives right there. Every error in our lives, verse 29, Jesus replied, you are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Verse 30, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Okay, so again, marriage will end in this life, okay? Biblical marriage is a sacrament. It's important. It's certainly between one man and one woman. No doubt, all of us as evangelicals firmly believe that. But I guess what we don't understand is by pounding the table and saying marriage is between one man and one woman, Jesus is not more pleased with us because we, because we can keep pounding the table and saying that. Just like Jesus is not more pleased with, with someone standing out Side, an abortion clinic with a sign that says baby killer. Jesus is not pleased with that either. Never have I seen less mature Christianity. Now, maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I'm just naive and I don't understand what's out there. Maybe I've just been exposed now and, you know, because I'm in my own little world here doing my teachings, right? Jesus would be pleased instead of standing outside the abortion clinic with the sign that says baby killer, maybe if you went and found one of the many hundreds or thousands, just find one or two single moms that are scared and they don't know what they're gonna do and they're pregnant and they feel they have no way out. And why don't you come alongside of them and say, I'll help you. I'll help you to, 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 to go through this process and I'll help you and I'll even help pay to help you to raise this child. Now, Jesus would be pleased with that. 
Marriage is between one man and one woman. There's no question of that. But Jesus would be pleased, certainly, right? If we loved people and came alongside people and explained to them this is not the will of God and we're able to love them right where they're at. The biggest thing that I think people don't understand about gay or transgender weddings is it's not, it's not a wedding before God. They're not married before God. The wedding is meaningless to Jesus. As a matter of fact, heterosexual people, a man and a woman that get married that, that, aren't, that aren't saved, aren't born again, that's not a biblical wedding either. Biblical marriage is a picture of the believer's union with Christ, the believer's marriage to Jesus. When you get saved, when you get born again, Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you and you're one with him in spirit as man and woman are one in flesh. The man and woman one flesh marriage ends as will the entire sacrament of marriage when the world ends and we have a new heaven and a new earth. But our union with Jesus, our spiritual union and marriage to Jesus will last for all eternity. So again, what ought to be our focus? It's interesting, the Apostle Paul in dealing with marriage says here in uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. So there it is. Okay. Some nine times in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is going to tell you it's, it's not about marriage. Biblical marriage was created so that we could advance the kingdom of God and the word of God and the son of God. That's the reason for biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is about Jesus. Jesus is not about our marriage, okay? Again, marriage is a sacrament. But the kingdom of God is about souls. He's going to go on. Look at verse 2. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman his own husband. Paul just gave the purpose of marriage. Now, he's going to go on throughout this time to say, you know what? Marriage is a concession. You'd be better off if you're not married. But since you don't have the gift of singleness, go ahead and get married because it's better to get married than to live in, in sexual impurity. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So again, he just gave the purpose of marriage so that you can, you can be in a sexual pure place. So again, therefore, the vast majority of people in the world need to be married. Okay, uh, He's going to go on to say some things. And then he says in, uh, in verse 6, I say this as a concession, not as a command. A concession. Okay, Commanding you to get married. I, this is a concession. This is not a command. I'm conceding you need this. Verse seven, I wish that all men were as I am. And he meant it, single, so that you could be devoted to Christ. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, one has another. Okay, so you have the gift of marriage. Never, by the way, also have I seen so much twisting of a chapter of scripture as 1 Corinthians 7. Again, the body of Christ seems to really think that Christianity is about having a good, good marriage and a good family. Certain, certainly those things are created by our Heavenly Father, and, and we ought to strive to have them. But no, the kingdom of God and our lives are about Jesus. 
more and more and more Jesus. All right. Um, staying in 1 Corinthians, let's look at uh, verses 13 to 17. 1 Corinthians 1, 13 to 17. This is interesting, okay? Marriage is a sacrament. Baptism is a sacrament. Look what Paul says. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, let the cross, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Did you hear that? Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is a sacrament. I keep hearing that marriage is this sacrament, and it is, but it's not about marriage. It's not about baptism. Christ is not about your marriage. Everything in your life is about Christ. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 26 to 28. Paul says, because of the, the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Verse 27, are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What does Paul mean? I want to spare you this. It's better not to get married. What am I saying here? Okay, Paul's trying to put marriage in a perspective. It's important, but it's it's not even close. It's not infinitely as close as Christ, the gospel. Okay. First Corinthians 7, 32 to 35. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. That's what Paul would like, right? So again, I'm trying to show you here that, that all the defense of the sacrament of marriage is nothing compared to Christ and especially to souls. Of course, biblical marriage is important and needs to be honored, but it is below Christ. Paul here says an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, again, what is this about? This is about just really putting marriage in its proper light because the massive indignation over the sacrament of marriage has gotten so out of bounds, it's ridiculous. Marriage is certainly important. It's certainly biblical. It's certainly between one man and one woman. It's, it's made for people who have received Christ, who have spiritual life, who are one with Jesus, and that marriage can reflect Christ serve Christ and love Christ. All other marriages are meaningless. Any marriage that's not in Christ is absolutely, completely and utterly meaningless. 
before our heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. doesn't mean anything to them. Because what they, people need is Christ. All right. Look what, uh, look what Paul's attitude is on this whole thing here. Okay? Let's look at Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I've got so much here. I'm not going to, uh, there's no way I'll get into it. Look what Paul's attitude is here. So how are we to live our lives in light of all this, right? How did Paul do this? Paul said, though I am free, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and 22, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. You don't want to be a slave to a, a homosexual or a gay or a transgender. You wouldn't want to be their slave, would you? Yeah, seems a little off, doesn't it, right? What is he talking about here, right? Just, he's talking about you'll do all that you can, yeah, to see them come to Christ and know Christ. Let me read it again. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. 22. To the weak, I became weak. To the weak, I became weak. The homosexual and transgender community are hurting. They're obviously confused. They're obviously weak. They're spiritually dead. And they're heading to hell and need to be rescued. And only in Christ can they be rescued. To the weak, Paul became weak. He didn't condemn the weak. He didn't, he didn't spit on them. He didn't have a pharisaical arrogance and superiority over them. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men. Why? So that by all possible means, I might save some. And yes, those possible means very, very much may include your attendance at a gay or transgender wedding or any, you know, or any, you know, um, worldly event that's not of Christ. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Do you see the concern? Paul's concern for souls? What can a man give for his soul? Jesus said, right? What can a man give for his soul? Wow. Golly, what can a man give for his soul? Mark 8, 36 to 37. Mark 8, 36 to 37. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you see that? Do you see Paul's attitude and heart? Mm. Look at, uh, let's look at Jesus here. How did Jesus handle this? Let's look at Matthew 9, 9 to 13. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Booth, follow me, he said. 
Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see the pharisaical attitude here? You see the superiority? Do you see the conceit? Do you see how they're looking down these, these religious people? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They didn't even have to answer. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the health you need, the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's so much in there. I mean, you can't get around it. Never have I, again, seen so much pharisaical self-righteousness strained through the conduit of perceived holiness, right? You're not more holy because you don't attend a transgender wedding. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And that's what we need in the church today. We need to go and learn what this means. These are Jesus' words. This is what he's telling the religious leaders. This is what he's telling pastors. Am I telling you this? Of course we don't support gay or homosexual marriage or transgender marriage. We don't support the lifestyle. The Bible is clear that it's sexual sin, right? It's sexual immorality. As a side note, it's not worse than heterosexual sin. When, when men and women, right, are not married and they're living in sexual sin, they're sleeping together, they're having sexual relations, okay? That's, that's equally bad sexual sin as homosexual sin and transgender sin. God is not more grieved with one, okay? They're equally bad. But go and learn what this means. That's what we need to do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy. He has to tell Pharisees mercy, okay? So again, mercy. These people need to be shown mercy. I've never been to a gay or transgender wedding or gathering. You know, I don't, uh, I've never been invited to that. Um, and, and I suspect I, I would be uncomfortable well, why would I go? I would go because Jesus told me to learn what this means. I desire mercy. Doesn't mean I'm condoning it, approving it, supporting it in any way. Again, if it's a wedding, it's not a wedding. Okay, you can call it a wedding. You can say a lot of things are a lot of things, but it doesn't mean they are in the sight of our heavenly father or of Jesus or of the Holy Spirit. I desire mercy, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I really believe we've had the responses to this, this Alistair Begg situation and the, and the misunderstanding of how this is to be handled, okay? Um, and what the scripture teaches about it. You're not compromising one bit by going. 
you're showing, you're acting like Jesus. The Lord cares about souls, right? They're spiritually dead. They're headed to hell. Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Okay, the Lord desires every one of us to turn to Christ. We're not saved by stop sinning. We're saved by Christ, by the gospel, by the good news that Jesus died to death. We should have died was punished the punishment we deserved and lived the perfect righteous life that we could never live and then offered it to us in exchange for all of our sin and disobedience and wickedness and unrighteousness. Because remember, without Christ, we're all an abomination. That exchange, all of our sin for the perfect righteous life of Jesus is the absolute heart of the Christian gospel. Look at uh, this is interesting. Look at Acts eleven one to ten. Acts eleven one to ten. Even even the early apostles, the apostles had this Pharisaical attitude that they were above the dirty, filthy Gentiles. Right? Peter had this air of superiority that he wouldn't enter a, a Gentile's house. Again, that is what the scripture told him in the Old Testament. It seems that there's many people that don't understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And are you able to see these principles? This whole teaching is being done so we can understand the principles of how to deal with people living in, in sinful lifestyles, even what we consider, consider the greatest debauchery or the most gross sin. And as a side note to that, Right. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis pointed out that, you know, people could be in sexual sin and the church will point their nose at them and be disgusted. But yet but yet Christians can have no mercy, no compassion, no love. And we don't think anything about that. Let that sink in. Acts 11, 1 to 10. OK. Whew. I love you all. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I know I'm ranting a little bit here. All right. Acts 11, 1 to 10. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Did you hear that? The apostles heard that everyone that's not Jewish, like 99.99999% of the whole world, the, the, the Gentiles received the word of God. You think they would have been excited. These are the apostles. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. That sounds familiar. I've heard that somewhere before. Oh, that's right. So, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Never seen so much criticism from Christians to other devout Christians. Alistair Begg is a devout man of God. All he's getting is criticism. And I'll say again, it would be nice if some of his boys would come out and stand behind him. People who have far more reach than me. The man shouldn't have to defend himself. I hope he never does. I hope he doesn't say a word, but just goes on teaching the word of God. But you certainly, you who have reach, you who have a large audience, a large Christian audience, ought to be coming out in defense. 
So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers said, good job. No, no. They criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. I mean, how disgusting. Yeah. What did Peter do? He just went into the house of someone who wasn't Jewish and ate with them. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Do you see the, the pharisaical attitude in the apostles? Peter has to explain. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as, as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He can't eat any of that stuff because it would defile him. I mean, and again, I, I don't want to be defiled by, by all of this disgusting things, these uncircumcised Gentiles, right? We don't want to be defiled by just by going to some inappropriate gathering or something that they're calling a wedding. Because we think when we hear the word wedding, it just boom, ding, 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 all our senses pop up. Not understanding it, it's not a wedding. You could call it whatever you want. doesn't make it a wedding. The Lord is paying no attention to it whatsoever. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter talked back to it. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. You see the self-righteousness of Peter there? Again, we all have this in a little bit. I've seen it in spades here, right? Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke to me from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven. Hmm. You see it? It's okay if you go. It really is. So again, what are we doing? We're going over a lot of scripture here to show us that we don't, we want to understand really that we ourselves are, are, are vessels of massive mercy and grace. We are without Christ all an abomination. Do you actually rationally think that someone who's in worse physical sexual sin is a greater abomination than anyone else without Christ. Someone who, lie, who lies all the time and is unsaved is an abomination. Someone who steals all the time and is unsaved is an abomination. Someone who gossips all the time and is unsaved is an abomination. These are not little things that aren't so bad, but those disgusting people over there, they're, they're just terrible. No. You and I, without Christ, are creatures fit for hell and all an abomination as anyone else. Hmm. You know, this one right here, I mean, I could just get angry reading this, um, you know, and so I got I got to think two more here. Um, look at uh, look at Luke 13, 10 to 17, Luke 13, 10 to 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there, who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. You would have thought that everyone would have fallen on the ground for the tremendous love and mercy 
it would seem to me that the majority of the Christian world would rather stay away, just stay away from those gay and transgender weddings and let them all burn in hell. You'd rather do that than go and by going, show that you're willing to, to humble yourself and go to something from which you're very uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to go. I would be terribly, terribly uncomfortable. But I'd be showing that, you know what? I don't approve of this. I don't believe it's pleasing to the Lord. I believe it's sinful. I don't believe it's helpful to you. But you know what? I'll come and I'll talk to you about Jesus. You think they would have celebrated, y'all? Mm. The woman for 18 years was bent over and couldn't straighten up. Try to imagine that. And Jesus has this tremendous mercy. You see what this is supposed to look like? Not our high and mighty superiority and condescension because we think that we're so much better. Look what happened. No celebration. Verse 14, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. And believe me, he's saying to us today, okay? We all have areas of hypocrisy, but it is hypocrisy to condemn and slander and throw out words like abomination when we ourselves are all as bad an abomination save the mercy of our King and Master and Savior and God, Jesus Christ. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath? From what bounder? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. We ought to be humiliated. We ought to be humiliated by our self-righteousness, our lack of love, our lack of concern, the manner in which we, we carry ourselves, and we actually think you're more pleasing because of this. The remarkable thing, and I'll say this clearly, I would say that, again, I would say that 999 out of 1,000 people who are critis, critis, you know, ridiculing and criticizing Alistair Begg I'd like to see their daily walk with Christ. How much time do you spend each day with Jesus? How much time do you spend actual time in the word of God? How much time do you actually spend in minutes, in hours, in prayer, in worship, in thanksgiving, in praise? How much time do you actively spend talking to other people about Jesus? How much time do you spend in evangelism? How much time do you spend in, in getting the gospel out and getting gospel tracks out, right? Charles Spurgeon said, don't leave your house without your tracks. I'd like to see these people. How much time and devotion and real, earnest devotion to Christ do you spend? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted. Again, Matthew 23, 23 and 24. We don't want to be pharisaical hypocrites. We want to have a concern for souls more than the frivolity and foolishness of a gay or transgender wedding that literally means nothing to the Lord 
doesn't bother him a bit. They're not saved. What grieves him, what grieves him is that they're headed to hell. And that ought to grieve you too. Matthew 23, 23 and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And that really is what I've seen to be the spirit going around, right? In, uh, in this whole conversation of whether or not Alistair Begg was right. Mm. You know, the, uh, you know, you remember the, the woman caught in adultery, right? In John, John chapter eight, verses two to 11. I'm going to end here. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, Jesus, where all the people were gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Uh, now, again, we said that all, all sin, right, is uh, all sexual sin. One is not worse than the other, right? But adultery is worse than just fornication because you're involving other people, right? If just a, if an unmarried man and woman are, are having sex together, they're, they're in sexual immorality and that's fornication. But adultery now, now you've involved, when you commit adultery, there are other people involved than just the two people doing it. Do you see that? Two transgender people aren't in adultery. Two gay people, two gay men or two gay women, they're not in adultery. Now, again, it's certainly sin. It's not the will of God. And it's certainly as bad as a man and a woman sleeping together who aren't married. Those are all equally sexual immorality. But adultery now, that's a little higher level, right? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. It's interesting they just brought the woman, right? Somehow they, they found the woman, they caught her in adultery, but we didn't know where the man was. That's interesting, right? She was caught. Had to be a man there with her, right? But they throw the woman before Jesus. They made her stand before the group. They're humiliating this woman. It, it appears that we would rather humiliate the most marginalized people, right, at a certain level. The people, yes, who are just, just, just weighted down with sin instead of, instead of love them. In no way agree or condone their lifestyle and talk to him about Christ. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Look at there. There's old covenant. Should have been stoned. That means a dozen, two dozen, 20 people, 10 people will pick up large stones, throw them at your head until you're dead. Stone. It's amazing, right? Today, again, of course adultery is sin. But man, we're far more indignant when it's transgenders or homosexuals. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? No, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see it? It couldn't be more plain, right? You who are without sin, you cast the first stone at them. Now, again, I've tried to make clear because I understand that so many people are going to try to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but it's a wedding. It's a wedding. It's a wedding. I've made clear to you that souls are infinitely more important because the soul is eternal. The sacrament of marriage is holy and it's important and it's between one man and one woman but it is not eternal. Do we get that? The, baptism, the, the sacrament of baptism, okay? I can mean baptism in heaven, okay? So before you start talking about making excuses for all these things, okay? Let's let it, let's let it really sink in. If you're able, try to understand the scriptures I've said. None of us are perfect, okay? All of us have made wrong judgments, but let's just back up a little bit, try to understand the Lord's heart on the matter, and, and try to emulate Jesus. I frankly don't have a lot of hope that those who are hardened to this issue will repent. But Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your favor. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love, Father. I thank you that we have the word of God. And Father, help us, Holy Spirit, never once to compromise us to what the scripture says. That we know, Lord, what we call sin in our lives first, Lord. We judge ourselves first. Lord, help us to stand firmly on the word of God. We do know, Father, that you created marriage for one man and one woman. Father, we know also that for those who, who aren't, aren't having a biblical marriage, you're not concerned anything about what they do, except that they come to know Jesus. So Jesus, I ask you to draw everyone to you. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts to understand, Holy Spirit, these principles, that we may walk in greater love, and greater devotion, and be more pleasing to Jesus in all that we do. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen and amen.